Welcome to this podcast recording from the DFARM 2022 conference on Addressing the Lack of Structured Clean Patient Data. The DFARM conference is produced by the Conference Forum. For more information, please visit theconferenceforum.org. Enjoy the podcast recording from DFARM 2022. But I think I'm, I'm going to be speaking about a use case uh, for, for this. And, and basically, it's the UK use case that I um, know and love from, uh, from Optum Labs uh, that I uh, ran for the last, uh, well, a few years back, but um, for six or seven years. Um, and that is, you know, at a conference like this, clinical trials certainly are the gold standard, and there's no question about that statistically. But um, real-world evidence has a, a big role and an increasing role, and I think everybody is quite familiar with that. Um, there are trials where you re- it's really not practical or ethical or, um, or fast enough, really, to, um, <clears throat> to be able to use clinical trials. And carefully uh, designed and carefully uh, managed uh, using real-world evidence and observational data, or even retrospective data, can begin to approach causal inference. Um, and uh, there is a lot that's being done on this. Um, there's some work that we just published out of uh, Optum Labs, uh, that the, the first of uh, several papers that are going to be coming out. Uh, uh, you can look for under the, uh, the words operand, O-P-E-R-A-N-D, where we use electronic health record data to reproduce some clinical trials with um, two different sort of blinded investigators who, um, who did it um, each, thing, each trial differently. I think uh, Sebastian Schneeweiss is uh, also doing something similar to this with, uh, uh, at the Brigham and Women's Hospital with the FDA. So um, there are, a, we learned in the pandemic that there are a lot of questions and uh, that need rapid answers. Uh, and we saw some really good science come out from looking at um, observational uh, data before uh, clinical trials could be done. Um, we also saw some bad science and we saw some fraudulent science with the Surgisphere uh, disaster. So the needs are there then to be able to do this is number one, uh, claims data, which is extremely um, uh, useful because it contains uh, a, a complete look at someone's uh, record or a mostly complete look at someone's uh, official record um, and structured electronic health re- and electronic health record data, which is composed of structured data and unstructured data. Uh, and and uh, the structured data needs a lot of normalization and standardization that, uh, that doesn't really come along with the use of fire or any of the other standards, it, it does require, in order to get research-ready data, it does require a lot of you know, manual uh, labor to, uh, to get that data ready to be able to be used, and, and a recognition that electronic health records suffer from a lot of, um, a lot of uh, missing data and data from people who um, went to different places uh, rather than to uh, their, their one provider where you're getting the electronic health record from. And also uh, unstructured data, which is uh, where repetitive copy and paste errors are a big problem. And the fact that just getting that data out of unstructured data is very difficult. I think uh, in terms of uh, 
a use case solution for that. We need to use some artificial intelligence at this point to create a standardized, unstructured record from um, a single source of truth from all of the data uh, th that's contained in these multiple uh, uh, narratives that are in electronic uh, health records, as well as using some of the technologies that LinkedIn and Facebook and Amazon have, uh, have put together to be able to put uh, unstructured data into, um, it, into models and, um, and to be able to be used uh, in, in clustered fashion. So I'm going to uh, turn it over to that. I'm happy to discuss uh, some more to, I guess, uh, Xiaoyun. Thank you, Paul, and thank you, Amy. Thank you for the organization for inviting us for this interesting panel. Um, my name is Xiaoyin Wu. I'm part of the Jensen R&D Data Science team, uh, leading the data platform and privacy organization. My team is uh, responsible for building end-to-end -end data science ecosystem called MITAI um, to support data science committee in Jensen R&D. So actually, our goal is to um, consolidate um, data from research um, clinical trials as well as clinical operations uh, into the real world data for any of the data science activities. Um, so this is actually an exciting uh, panel because uh, we deal with lots of data and a lot of challenge as Paul just mentioned as well. One of the key things we're doing in this journey is to, number one, um, identify the use cases, which use case we go first. Um, speaking of that, in the clinical operations space, we find a lot of the data is actually unstructured. Not just the patient level data, but also the reports data, all the clinical reports, uh, protocols. There's a vast of data in that space can be useful for predictions as well as understanding clinical trial design and optimizing clinical trial design, accelerating clinical trial um, enrollment as well. So that's one of the key use cases we're working on. And the other one is really focusing on how do we identify potentials from the protocols to enable adoption of decentralized clinical trial? From all the procedures we have from the protocols, how do we extract that information, make it searchable, make it as a, a repository, and people can use that as kind of a starting point, identify potential procedures can be um, using your house to manage the patient um, goes to the clinical trials. Um, last but not least, of course, EHR. You know, EHR is actually um, structured data. We have a good handle um, at current stage. I'll say good handle means, of course, not to the clinical trial standard, but we have very good process in place to making sure the data is actually comparable um, for at the repository grade or any of the uh, clinical submissions. But the big part of clinical trial uh, data needed a lot of clinical measurements. And that was actually now exist in the EHR data in the structure way. So we're actually focusing on that in that specific, specific space, really looking at how do we can, you know, extract the symptoms, clinical measurements from the physician nodes uh, in the EHR data and to use that to identify potential clinical endpoints identify the treatment response, identify the, you know, the disease regression as well. Um, so there's a lot of development in the space and very, very exciting because the large community is actually using NLP 
or other machine learning models to make things more efficient, to make things more accurate as well. Um, so very happy to see this community is actually getting bigger and bigger and more people join the journey as well. I'll pass over to Vikan. Uh, uh, thanks so much. Thank you, Amy, for having us on the panel. It's my co um, I think they've actually already covered a lot of what I was going to say. So I'm, I'm probably going to zero in uh, on something in particular, which is that when we're working with electronic health uh, record data, um, I, I think these days uh, with both claims data and EHR data and even things like pathology reports, we're starting to get better what I think of as syntactic standardization or computation. So the data coming in, um, they're generally in you know, rows and columns oftentimes, even the unstructured record, a computer can you know, you know where to get them. We have things like OMOP and FIRE. Um, but what's, I, I think, much more challenging these days is more of that semantic harmonization. So if mm -hmm. two records say um, something like, you know, patient has cervicitis or even a note, um, patient is, is, is experiencing itchiness, how do you actually resolve that across different hospital settings or different clinics? Do they actually need different things? Um, would someone potentially misdiagnosed? Um, would someone essentially diagnosed with a higher level code so it's harder to match against something else? I think these are things that um, is, is still something that um, I think everyone is really struggling with. Um, I think our team um, at Parkcell, we do a combination of advising our clients as to the machine learning technologies out there that they can use. We also do some of our own internal research and I, I think that NLP, natural language processing, working with um, kind of advanced computer machine learning algorithms on uh, natural language data, I think that's actually come uh, very far actually in the last couple of years. I think anyone who works in the field will tell you that there has been an explosion of amazing research in the field. But even with that, I think we're still not quite at the point where NLP can do things in a fully automated way. Um, so one of the things that I would propose is we actually think about how do we actually bring the experts in the room um, into this solution. Um, there are so many experts here in the room. Um, in all of your organizations, there are so many experts who would just love to contribute their expertise to the solution. So when you build these solutions, you need to really think about how to combine the expertise of computers together with the expertise of humans in these hybrid solutions. And I think that's where um, that's where it's at. Thank you. Thank you, everybody, for the use case and keeping her. I want to dig deep into kind of some of the things we said in the next um, 13 minutes. I'm very excited to hear that no one is concerned anymore, or at least it didn't sound like it, about the quality of the data in the EHR because that really scared me. But I do hear that you're both, uh, many of you are talking about using EHR and claims data. I think that's something that in the future we may want to discuss, which gets back to your part, um, Lucanne, where you were talking about the harmonization of data, and not just the um, uh, structural harmonization, but the semantic harmonization. I think this is a very key part in order to be able to make sure that we have clean and structured data and we're all speaking the same language. So I'm wondering if there's anyone on the panel that wants to talk a little bit about how they see us getting to the point where we can have not only the structured semantic or the structured interoperability, but also the semantic interoperability. Um, yeah, I, I guess I'll start. I mean, I, I think that this is twofold. Uh, number one is uh, standardization bodies and, and making sure we actually have uh, the standards to have the semantic standards support. So a good example of this in oncology, everyone or many people in the room probably know about the RESIST standard for how you measure solid tumor progression, right? Um, and I think that's something that is, is semantic. Everyone essentially measures it the same way these days. 
Um, there are, of course, other standards that, that you could use in research purposes, but, but generally there are good standards for kind of boiling uh, that, that down to this one standard. So, so I think standards bodies are really important here. Um, but by, by dint of all of us actually doing uh, research, we shouldn't let standards kind of dictate the direction of research. So at any given point, there will probably be um, certain types of measurements, certain uh, ways of diagnosing people, certain, certain other measurements that can't be standardized. And I think that's actually totally fine. Um, and for those, we do need to think about developing data systems that, that are really agile, so you can process those um, really quickly and effectively. Yeah, I, I would really agree with that. And, and I learned my obsession with really, really rigorously high quality data when I started my career in the industry at Parkcell, actually, in a long time. And um, I, uh, but you have to move away from that to some extent when you get to working with um, electronic health record data, especially claims data is different, but with electronic health record data. And I think if you think about it from a statistical perspective, all of these standards will reduce the, the variance of certain things. But there is, uh, and, and having done this with hundreds and hundreds of different um, health systems and, and uh, doctors' offices and et cetera, there are just different ways that, that um, physicians and, and the people working with physicians interpret uh, a, a lot of medicine and, and put that into um, even structured form, let alone the way that language is used in making narratives. It's different from different regional places and academic and non-academic medical centers, even though there's a commonality. So what, what you need to do, I think, is to figure out what the key and essential elements are that you need for your research project and focus on getting those to be as harmonized as possible. And it will take, it will take judgment and it will, it, will take, um, it will take somebody manually reviewing it. Um, I don't think that's going to go away forever, honestly. Um, but, but I think that it will get better and better at having a baseline that's really already um, already done for us. Yeah, I can agree more. But oh. I think one of the key things for sender is uh, two things. One is actually the format sender, right? And the second is the content itself. So two things are all both important. From format, we can probably think of something like more broad across all the disease areas, across medications, across treatment. But for content, what we learned from our practice, as you probably know, Jensen is a big part of you know, the external construction as an OMAP, but the content perspective is actually really need to focus on disease or indication or cohort or interest for your research as Paul mentioned. So the two things actually goes hand to hand. Yeah. Back to Amy. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I, I want to be conscious of time and, and in the next few minutes, Dr. Wu, I think what's really interesting is you know, when we put together this AI and machine learning and natural language processing, semantic interoperability and notes. Um, I think everybody is very excited about the potential for AI, um, ML, and NLP. Um, but I think that there's also a group that are concerned about how do you get the uh, semantics correct when it's a pretext note. So I wanted to start with you and see what your thoughts are. How do we do that? Sorry. Uh, That's the last piece of the question. 
Okay, let me try again. This is a question to, I thought Dr. Wu might be able to start with because of her focus around AI and NLP. So when we look at notes, notes that are out there for clinicians and they write them, there's a difference, some feel, in the semantics of how things are written. So if we're going to move to the next stage of those notes and move into machine learning and AI and NLP, how are we going to make sure that those notes are coming across and we have the same meaning to them? It's very exciting what's happening in this area, but what are your thoughts on how we make sure that we have the same understanding, the same definition, the same semantics of the language that was originally in free text? Right. Dr. Thank you. start. Great, thank you. Now we got it, sorry. Um, so I think uh, one of the, maybe with I step back a little bit, just talk about um, what we do in terms of in the AI NLP space technology itself, right? So majority of the model right now, the language model is actually based on transformers. So um, the bird started and bow bird, pop my bird, a lot of the uh, you know, transformer has been built by the community. And we start getting into the situation which they can actually uh, mention a little bit is how do we making sure that NLP algorithm or AI algorithm is actually work towards the specific context we have, the domain we have in the healthcare space. Okay, so that's actually a very hard question to tackle. And from our experience, what we really need to do is to think about how do we making sure we have diverse data. This is the key for success of anything to do with AI and machine learning. And uh, one of the things that you have to do is to make sure you can collect data from all different kinds of healthcare systems, as number one, across different languages, and number two, and also making sure the type of the treatment or treatment guidance is actually also affect some of the nose picking as well. Um, give me your one example, I'm looking at the time here as well, and I'm sure you have time to speak as well. What is really key is the quality of the data and the label of the data. That's why Lacan was actually advocating they have the, our domain experts to be in this process, making sure the NLP algorithm, the model itself, can enhance over time as well. Go back to Paul. Yeah, so I, first of all, I think there are different use cases. One is, are you trying to use the unstructured data for um, to, to use it in as structured data, um, either in you know st more structured machine learning, like uh, as, as a specific variable for for um, a, a regression, a logistic regression, for example, or for actually for doing uh, you know using it as a variable in a research uh, project. And for that, you can apply a lot of the very sophisticated semantic NLP techniques that are useful. Um, that that, uh, that carry with it intent and all sorts of things, um, but but of course you're you're creating some bias when you're doing that. For uh, for machine learning and artificial intelligence, um, you have the bag of words approach, and you have the approaches where you're using various kinds of clustering, and you know to that in in doing that. Um, you can just feed it into the, the results into a, a deep learning model, but you also have the, the the risks which you have to test for that there's bias between the different centers that you're using, 
that there's, and I don't mean, I mean statistical bias, but there's also societal bias and a lot of other things that could be applied. And so it's really important to have as much as possible transparency in the models. Mm -hmm. And number two, you have to have, um, uh, apply some causal inference, and that requires experts to be involved both in the design of the variables that you use and in the, the uh, explanation and uh, interpretation and use of the output. Yeah, I, well, I think... that was a great answer, and we're, we're down to three minutes. So I, I want to go through what our action items are. Maybe we can start with you, Lucan, and then go over to you, Dr. Wang, and round it out with Paul. So um, we're down to about a four-minute. Um, so, Lucan, can you give us an action item? What do we need to do to move this forward and get into clean, structured data? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think to my first point, it's get your experts in the room um, as part of your data processing pipeline. Um, create a system where this is iterative. You're never get, going to get to some kind of amazing endpoint that you're never going to change. By digital doing research, the data is always going to be changing. You're always going to find new things that you want to include. Um, in our field, we can install the semantic drift. Uh, essentially, you know, as new data is coming in, your current models aren't going to be as good anymore, so you want to keep updating that. So making sure you actually get your experts in the room, um, getting them involved in, in the process is really important. Excellent. And Dr. Wu, can I ask you the same question? What should we do when we walk out of this room to make this be a clean, structured data? Um, I think uh, I totally agree with Lacan, but I want to add is um, laser focus on the use case and uh, um, making sure you understand the research, understanding the population, and that um, you know, this is actually very important to, for any of the efforts to be success in the future. Absolutely. And Paul, can you round us out on this uh, and where we're at? Um, with what is it that we can leave this room and make a difference? So, um, I, I, I'm sorry, I, I have a little hearing issue. Uh, so, uh, I, I think I, I totally agree about having experts in the room. It's really important. Uh, I also think uh, I, I, this is more an addendum than it is a, a summary, because I think it was well summarized here. If you're going to use artificial intelligence or machine learning models for um, for modification of behavior in a healthcare setting or in an operational setting, you have to recognize that the use of the model itself is actually going to cause the model to to change over time. And if you don't continue to to reset the model and to retest the model you're gonna wind up actually um, ha having a model that's not no longer working. So that's like really important for, uh, for uh, AI. So I'm gonna try and summarize what I heard from you today about what we need to do, what do I need to do, what does everybody in the audience need to do. If you're an expert in this area, we really encourage you to step up and step into this world. If you know an expert, bring them into the room and what I've heard is that we need everyone to understand not only research, but the population of our research. And so we know that there's going to be this semantic drift and that the AI and ML are going to modify behavior. And so we have to constantly be re-looking at these models and taking it forward. I think that brings us just about to our time limit, if I'm understanding correctly. 
want to thank everyone for joining in this room. You can tell this is a really hot topic. We hope you enjoyed this podcast recording from the DFARM 2022 conference. For more information, please visit theconferenceforum.org.